welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to the pre-admission game. Lovely to have you all with us. Uh, today, what are we doing today, Mitch? What's the plan? Well, today we're going to be focusing on section two, and we are in great company here today. We have Andy with us, who is... Andy, make sure, I want to make sure I get your title correct. You are the academic section two lead. Is that correct? Uh, that's right. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I sort of um, work with my colleagues and, you know, sort of design the... This is a sort of serious word, but the pedagogy and the sort of teaching philosophy of Fraser's when it comes to Section 2. So, so when people are sort of, uh, you know, in the grips of Section 2 being, you know, the excruciating pain of trying to write an essay, you're the man that they should blame. You're responsible. Uh, somewhat, but, you know, like in Section 2, like I believe like more than any other section, mm. pain breeds results. Result. Oh. Results. Yeah. Suffering um, is art, isn't it? I'll, I'll defend my position all the way through this conversation. <laughs> but, you know, like section one and section three, like they're questions, yeah? But mm. section two is mm. writing. Mm. And, you know, for a lot of folk, you know, like writing this kind of long form answers is something we haven't done since high school mm. for many people. Even then, it was terrifying back then. And all of a sudden to do it out of the blue, that's why section two is quite painful for a lot of folk. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sort of coming back to sort of the more, more serious aspect of this podcast, I think Andy's certainly one of the, the most impressive guests that we've had on in, in quite a while, probably in the history of this podcast. I mean, when you when you compare him to him and I, uh, you and I, <laughs> I, I mean, any guest is impressive compared to you and me. But um, Andy, I guess the first question I wanted to ask you is: Can you tell us a little bit about your sort of pre-phrases journey and and what has led you to teaching this section of the GAMSAT? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like. Uh, you know, my background's a bit different to quite a lot of the folk you've had mm. on the podcast, I assume. Um, sort of my background, I, I work as a professional writer, um, an academic, a teacher, uh, and, a, and, a, and a writer across kind of multiple different places. Um, mm. I did a PhD in literature um, and philosophy, uh, you know, like a couple of years ago. And um, I was approached by Fraser's to, uh, they were looking for someone who, who's kind of... Uh, you know, skills really focus on that idea of that spontaneous writing and that kind of spontaneous synthesis of ideas and structuring, uh, you know, sort of writing and also teaching it because it's such a kind of unique skill. And, um, you know, like uh, I, I, I jumped at the chance to, to sort of work in this kind of really dynamic environment mm. where, you know, you have students from you know, so many different kind of diverse academic backgrounds. Mm. You know, you've got biomed students, science students, allied health workers. You've got lawyers who are looking to, you know, for a sort of mid-career, mid-life career change. Mid-life crisis, <laughs> career change. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, you know, you've got students from all over the world uh, coming into Fraser's. And so you have this kind of huge melting pot where everyone has different skills, different mm. strengths, different... Um, different challenges in, in that kind of writing space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's such a unique, like, educational environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating mm -hmm. as a teacher as, and, and a writing teacher. So, so picking up off of that sort of background, I'm going to channel a little bit of the, the famous Pixar film, Ratatouille. There's a <laughs> quote in there. Um, you know, anyone can cook. Do you think, I, I mean, a lot of students, I think, that come to Fraser that are trying to get into meta very anxious about writing. They don't understand why writing is such a critical part of, well, I mean, really being an adult, but also um, getting into med. Um, do you think section two really is for everyone? Do you think anybody can learn how to produce a quality piece of writing within the scope of the GAMSAT? 
I do. Mm. Absolutely. And it's like, very lots of suspense in yeah. that pause, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Duran are trying to preempt what the uh, what mm. the audience think of themselves. <laughs> it's like he's going to say no. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> switch off. <laughs> but no, absolutely. Mm. Um, I when it comes to you know com- like we, we talk about writing as 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 its own thing. You know, mm. like it's its own separate skill. But really, it's just communicating. Mm. communicating in the written word mm. and you know whether it's working with postgraduate students or high school students or undergrad you know like humanities students that anxiety is always there mm. this idea that i can't communicate on the page like i've read the best <laughs> i've read <laughs> you know the essays of virginia Woolf. i've read ben johnson i've read you know like you know the, the, the best the world has to offer how am i ever going to be like that and the first thing that I always say, and the first thing I repeat to myself in the morning, myself included, is that like if you can speak, you can write. Mm. There's no difference in, in skill. It's really just a kind of a mental hurdle. And, and that's one thing I have to kind of really sort of, I was going to say a kind of violent metaphor, like drill in mm. <laughs> to, to, to the, the students I work with. But r- it really is. It's like if you can speak, you can write. Mm. And if you can speak at length, then there's no reason, except for the millions of other hurdles, you know, like that, you know, that you can, you know, score really well in section three. Yeah, brilliant. And to sort of express a a controversial thought that you may strongly disagree with, Andy, (laughs) you mentioned Virginia Woolf. Some of you guys who are big readers out there may have uh, studied Mrs. Dalloway, which is part of the sort of high school literature syllabus. I I can't imagine that sort of, like, that's obviously very high standard writing, and you read it and you're incredibly impressed. But the GAMSAT isn't looking for that. I mean, I find that the, the markers that are marking the GAMSAT probably not, you know, necessarily literature aficionados. They're probably not, not of your caliber, Andy. Uh, I imagine that, that you don't have to be intimidated by that level of literature as you're approaching section two, right? Absolutely. Mm. And, like, can I answer that kind mm. of just brutally, honestly, mm. uh, from uh, in, in the form of an anecdote? <laughs> um, look, like... Look, you, you've been very, very uh, generous uh, with your compliment to, to, to my <laughs> to my to my skill, uh, and and look, like I don't have that many skills. I can't do sums, for example, <laughs> but I can write here, and I can write at length if given the opportunity. It's literally my only skill. Yeah, I, I, the, the the table of elements, mitosis and cellular division is 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 magic to me. Mm. But I can do that. And when I sat down to write my first uh, Gamset essay, I was like, oh, "This is going to be, this is going to be easy." <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, I sat down. Yep. I read the question. I developed my ideas. Started writing. Then, ding! Time was up. And I'd written, you know, like a well-written beginning of a much larger piece of writing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I gave it to a colleague to mark. You know, against my will, I was like, no, let's not, let's, we don't need this one. This one, we'll just leave in the bottom drawer. You know, yeah. I did it, it's going to be fine. Um, and they ripped it out of my hands <laughs> after pinning me down. And they said, this is not a game set essay. Um, and because I was approaching it with that mindset that you mentioned, Aaron, like, like that I, I'm being asked to formulate some kind of genius mm. thing, but, I'm, but there's no way. Yeah. You know? I, I once walked out of a class here at Fraser's and there was a, a young fellow uh, sitting kind of hunched over in the, in the foyer, you know, with a, 
fucking beads of sweat coming down his forehead. Oh, dear. And in front of him, he had a copy of um, Friedrich Nietzsche's uh, Beyond Good <laughs> and Evil. Uh, and, and I walked up to him, because he looked very uncomfortable, like indigestion or food poisoning, that, that kind of level of discomfort. Yeah. And I said, uh, hey, man, wh- wh- what, what are you reading? And he went, Nietzsche. <laughs> and I said, whoa, <laughs> like, that's, that's the top shelf right there, you know, like, uh, why are you reading that? He goes, I'm preparing for section two. Mm. And I said, how's it going? He said, I've been on page nine for the last six weeks. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, it doesn't make sense to most people. You know, like you don't, you know, to read pure, uncut Nietzsche, it's like you have to go to university for three years and study everyone else who write, wrote about Nietzsche, don't make sense out of it. Yeah. You know, and so it's that mindset that I have to produce some kind of something, something like that. You know, mm. um, which is not the case. And, and, and to me, it is one of the biggest, you know, I was going to say psychological, but it's really an emotional hurdle that a lot of Fiamsa folk have to, you know, sort of have to overcome. And there, there are lots of ways of doing that. But thinking about what your actual job is, what are, what are Asa looking for, mm. starts to kind of peel back those layers. And all of a sudden, it's not you standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, next to, you know, society's greatest writers and, and thinkers and it's 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 nailing or drilling down really into what ASA are looking for, why section two is there, you know, what is the best way with the time you get given, because that's that's the variable time. Mm. You get given one hour to produce two pieces of writing. You watch politicians on the news, they can't produce ten minutes of quality speaking yeah. in that time. And so by really understanding what ACE is expecting of you and what they're looking for, you can start to then think about, well, how the hell am I going to do it? Yeah. I think what you've touched on there is really good. I mean, you, on the one hand, you've, you've, you've talked about how, you know, people can prepare at Fraser's and what they're likely to get from someone like you. And you do teach a lot at Fraser's, don't you? You know, so students who are in the course would be likely to see your face, you know, at some point or another. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he's got a beard, by the way, everyone, just so <laughs> for those of you listening at home. But also, you know, those who, who aren't with us on the course, just when they're thinking about their own preparation, it's this idea that you, you're not expected to be a genius. You need to come up with something that's, you know, reasonably well thought out. But, you know, there, there are other things that they're looking for that Ace is, Ace is wanting you to show in the half hour period you have to, to come up with a GAMSAT essay, aren't they? Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, and so, like, you know, I, the way I describe it is, is kind of unique, you know, mm. where to not, to not be patronising to anyone, to, <clears throat> to not be, like, a, abusive <laughs> to people, but a lot of us have been kind of institutionalised mm. when it comes to writing, you know, like, you know, essays, essentially, um, where we kind of approach it like we're still in high school, you know, where, you know, when you study, say, if you did English uh, in an Australian high school or English lit- literature, you know, you'll study a text, you know, you'll study it for eight weeks, nine weeks, you know, you'll read it, you, well, <laughs> you'll read it in a... Sometimes you'll Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll look at the spark notes. The spark and notes, <laughs> you'll study the spark notes for 15 hours when you could have read the novel in four, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and then the teacher or, or whoever sets the, uh, you know, the tertiary exam, We'll pull two questions out, yeah, mm. and 
you will then write to those two questions. But the thing about those two questions is is that they're all essentially the same. Mm. They're, they're, you know, the, the questions are guided and structured to talk about the things that you've been studying for the last eight weeks. Yeah. That's not what the GAMSAT's about. You get given two prompt sets around, you know, that, that are all with four comments that are all geared around a central theme and are all speaking to kind of around that theme, looking at various issues, and then, boom, you have to start writing. Mm. So rather than a kind of, uh, you know, rather than an exercise in intellect, it's very much equally ex exercise in creativity. Yeah, well. And that's, that's the difference between GAMSAT and just writing in general. So a lot of people, when they're preparing, I ask them, well, how are you preparing for section two? You know, when I'm talking to folk outside uh, phrases, you know, just, just regular GAMSAT folk, regular GAMSAT <laughs> 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 like the special GAMSAT folk. Um, you know, just, just, just people, uh, you know, who I bump into. Um, yeah. The, the person who works down at my newsagent, I saw them working on question one sections behind the counter, and I said, you, is that section one question? I said, yeah, I'm, so, I'm preparing for the GAMSAT. I was like, ah, let's talk. No, yeah. um, uh, you know, like, I ask, how are, you how are you preparing? And they say, well, I'm going to the library. I'm like, that's great. That, that's a wonderful thing uh, to do in your life. Uh, I said, so what are you doing at the library? Well, I've, I've began with A, now I'm on to AA, now I'm AB, you know, and I'm working on my way. Here's Camus, I'm up to C, it's been 18 months, but I'm, you know, I'm getting there, so I'm just gonna read everything I can do, which is wonderful, but that still doesn't answer the question about what are you going to do in section two, mm -hmm. you know? Like, like myself, you know, who literally all I can do is just spout interesting factoids and literary references. It's my only skill. <laughs> when I sat down to write my first one, I was just like, hmm, this is new. This is not your your grandma's yeah. essay. Is that, that's the phrase, right? I have no idea. This is not your, <laughs> your grandfather's. Um, yeah, and, and so that's that's the big thing. Yeah. Uh, where, where it's an act of spontaneity and creation. Mm. Mm as much as it is an intellectual episode, uh, yeah. episode, episode or exercise. Exercise, and, and it is entirely different to anything that you've done in high school before. So it's, with that, it's going to require a new skill set, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, a new skill set. Um, you know, uh, like I, I work with a, a lot with year 12 students, uh, and you know, I once, I, w I was working at a kind of, you know, quite a exclusive uh, private school in, in Victoria. And there was one uh, young woman who, you know, was very much, you know, like she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely ace my, my, my VCE exam, which is the year 12, you know, matriculation exam to university. Mm. And she says, I'm working on Frankenstein. And she pulled out a lever arch folder, you know, that's what, mm. 300, like a ream of paper thick. And in it, she says, I found every single VCE question that's ever been written. Uh, and I've commissioned 48 postgraduate students to write me a thousand more. No, no, that's oh. not. <laughs> um, and, and on every single page was a question. Yep. You know, like, uh, you know, Frankenstein is an exploration of hubris in the face of, uh, you know, fate. Frankenstein is a tragedy. The monster is the, is the real human. All these questions. And she had meticulously planned essays for every single one of those things. Mm. I think she'd been doing it since she was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and that's the way that she prepared for it. Yeah. I have to know everything, which is, yeah, Gamsat, you can't do that. You literally can't.
That being said, though, are there common themes that tend to come up in question two that you, you know, would recommend people think about? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, so you know, like when we think about task A and task B, and I, I just, I look, this is going to sound a bit sadomasochistic, but I love the way that Asa has a task A and a task B. Yeah. So Why? It's like, you know, so if I said to if I said to you, look, in order to pass this exam, you need to write an essay to an unseen prompt or, you know, like to an unseen question, uh, you know, you've got to um, read the question, develop your ideas, formulate an argument, structure that argument, and then, you know, evidence your claims and then, you know, like um, analyse them uh, and then link them and then, you know, communicate wholeheartedly to three strangers that you're never going to meet who are only going to see your candidate number and make sense and provide insight and just be generally interesting in a human being. Mm. And they said, that's the, that, you, know, you would say, that's, that's really hard. And I said, yeah, now do it twice. Mm. <laughs> it's, like, it's, 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 it's such a beautifully designed exam. Mm. Everyone at home just switched off. <laughs> um, but you know, like, if you're into extreme writing like I am, it is such, a, it is such an elegantly and um, you know, intense kind of thing. And so when we think about task A, you know, when, when Asa describes it as looking at um, socio-political kind of themes, mm. and then we get B, which is more personal or kind of, some people describe it as abstract, but they're not abstract in that kind of traditional sense. Mm. And so when thinking about task A and task B and thinking about the ideas that you can draw on, I tend to think, I, 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 I tend to compel students to think, okay, so if you're, asked, if you're being asked to write about so, something socio-political, meaning that these themes resonate with how we interact together as a, you know, as a community, as a, as a society, as a culture, as a nation, as a world, mm. you know, having, having you know, something to draw on that, that sort of resonates with those ideas, things like, okay, so how does the economy work? You know, and how does the economy influence our lives? Mm. Yeah, how does our system of government influence our lives and our relationships to other people? How does well the culture itself? You know, um, how does ideas like well, you know, we, the kind of values we have in society, wherever we may be, you mm. know, we think about things like diversity, respect. Um, you know, we 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 tend to. Um, you know, sort of abstract ideas when really we're thinking about, okay, so what are the things that shape the way we interact on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, as a community, as a state, as mm. a nation, politics, economics, and culture, the three, the three things. It's very interesting that, that you mention that because uh, often, in my experience, obviously, chatting to a smaller, um, smaller circle, I guess, of students, um, but there are recurring questions, certainly, and, and when they're confronted with this task, um, whether it be sort of more personal or whether we're talking about sort of global socioeconomic themes and trends, students often say, Aaron, I, I really just have no idea. I have no idea about any of this stuff. I sort of live my day-to-day -day life. I wake up, I get a coffee, and I respond by saying, well, look, that's not true, right? You hold particular opinions, uh, and you have a heuristic or sort of a... a, a I don't, I don't want to call it a hand wavy or a sort of a touchy feely, but this sort of uh, intrinsic understanding or, or have some ideas about how the world works. You know, you have some idea of what you think is good and what you think is bad. And I ask them, well, why do you think this? Where does this belief stem from? And almost always there is some 
personal experience or, or some mechanism behind that that maybe a lot of students don't recognize. Do you think that that's a useful way of thinking about examples? Or do you think that sort of takes away from maybe a more formal approach to essay writing? No, I think that's absolutely the best, the best mm -hmm. piece of advice you can give. You know, that question of, okay, so here I am in the world, when I get presented with a theme and associated issues, what, is, what do I think about it? Is the first question you should be asking mm -hmm. yourself. You know, um, what do I think about it? And then that really powerful operative question of why. Mm. You know, whether it's, you know, why? Well, because the media tells me. You know, why? Because, well, I live in a democratic country, for instance, and mm. I value these things. Um, you know, because, well, because I live in a kind of capitalist economy, yeah? We value uh, wealth. Without wealth, you don't, you know, have much, really, uh, in, in, in this kind of place and that's the reason why when when you've made those two connections what do I think of it and why do I do it mm. you've gone beyond just stating an opinion you're actually now analyzing the world around you yeah absolutely yeah and 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 if you can do it for yourself you can do it largely for the culture because you're all speaking to directly to the people at home or wherever people listen to podcasts these days yeah you're all bound up in in, in culture in politics in the economy yeah and so when people say I don't know about those things to me that really is um at first it's kind of psychological challenge yeah it's that i don't i'm, I'm terrified of, of writing that down on paper yeah and, mm. and once again if you if you talk to a student you know on the street or outside of a classroom or if, when there's not a piece of paper in front of them and you say ah so what do you think of you know uh, what the government's doing with covid or this kind of stuff they'll, they'll have an answer it's like, well, why do you feel that way and then you can prompt questions, and they answer. And I just, <laughs> and then at the end, you just say, "What you should have done is written that down." Yeah, absolutely. I, I find myself saying that so often to to students. Well, you know, why didn't you write that down? I think you touched on a very important point there, and that's uh, people are afraid sometimes of, of expressing their opinion, and, you know, especially since we live in this very hyper, you know, very polarized politically, economically polarized uh, world, especially now in the era of era. era. Ugh, and he should have done my warm-ups before this podcast. This polarized era. But what I find, and this is especially true in med, and really I think the world would be a better place if we could do this in, in all fields, not just healthcare, is polarization and controversy tend, not always, tend to go away when you talk about things in terms of mechanisms rather than in terms of opinions. Right? If I say that I want every house on this, you know, on, on Peel Street where we're recording this podcast painted blue, and I go to the council with a picket and I say this must be done, people think you're, you know, you're nuts. Like this is a completely abstract opinion. Yeah, my vote. Right. <laughs> Certainly more sensible than, than some of the things going on <laughs> politics at the moment. But if I approach the council and I say this will be an energy saving measure, this will, you know, reduce emissions by this amount, this will be, you know, improve the aesthetic qualities of the neighborhood. That's a completely different conversation. Suddenly, you're no longer a nutter buying, you know, tons of blue paint. Suddenly, you're there with a, a plan and a mechanism. And even though maybe your your bottom line might seem strange, as soon as you discuss the hows and the whys, it, it, you're setting up a completely different environment. Absolutely. You know, like what you will be is a is a nutter with a with a council grant. <laughs> That's not true. Um, but but no, you're absolutely right. You know, like. There, you know, there are words we use when talking about like essay writing and, 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 and section two writing. We, talk, we use words like contention, 
you know, which is mm. a kind of, everyone knows what a contention is, but no one really knows, knows yeah. what a contention is. And um, Is that your contention? That's my contention, <laughs> absolutely. And so, no, it's actually not. It's half a contention. <laughs> it's an opinion, yeah? So I think that, I believe, or I argue, that everybody, or the majority of folk, don't say they know what a contention is, but don't truly know, mm. because the word gets misused and technified in order to produce a sense of exclusivity around the notion of argumentative logic. That was very hard for me to understand. Can, so you, can you break that down? Let me break that down, <laughs> yeah. It's that lots of people are very insecure about the word contention because it's not taught in a way that is grounded in reality. Okay. Yeah. And so I've got two parts to what I'm saying. I've got mm. my opinion, my, my observation, and then I've got a potential justification for why the world is that way. Mm. And once I start doing that, like I could be wrong. I don't have the data, like at all. And data can be wrong as well <laughs> and in this data leader. data can be wrong as well, or data, data, data. The data could be wrong, but I'm actually presenting an argument. Yeah, I'm saying what I've observed and I'm exploring a reason for why I think it's accurate. Mm. And that's what a that's all a contention is. It's an opinion with a proposed justification. And look, there are millions of different permutations of what I just presented as a, as a contention. Mm. And that's great. That's what we call the great discourse of you know, humanity's thinking. Mm. Like, there is no right answer. There is only good argument and bad argument. Mm. And that's what they call the, you know, the great conversation of philosophy. Am I supposed to bring it back to Gamsat? All they want from you is a good contention. Is that, would that be right? That's it. Yeah. Like, what do you think about this thing that we're asking you to write about? And let's examine why. That's, I think that that's key here for, for our listeners that are, again, sort of brought up and, and trained in this environment of, of a contention being the, the, what you identified earlier, right? It, the contention has two parts to it, right? It's not enough to espouse an opinion. It needs to be supported by the hows and whys of a mechanism or some sort of mechanistic explanation. Exactly, and that's where interestingness comes from. Mm. That's from the yeah. section two lead guys. Interestingness. Inter yeah. Inter interestingness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I'm qualified enough to invent words. But that's <laughs> not true. Yeah. But I just wanted to say that, that, and that's something that you can, you know, refine with someone, you know, as skilled as as Andy. But it's also something that you can think about as at home as well. You know, if you're doing your own preparation, you um, know, Rachel, bringing it down to brass tacks. Bring it, yeah. bring it back to yeah. the, gra yeah. the grass, grass, grass roots. roots yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bring it back. You know, it, it, as long as you're you're taking that step back and you're saying, I have this opinion. You know, because you're a sentient human, you've, you've experienced the world and you have these ideas. Why do you think that? If you're not exploring these things in your Section 2 essay, you're not developing a, you know, a sound or good contention. And if you're, doing, if you're not doing that, you're not doing what Acer wants you to do. No one's asking you to be a PhD, you know, extraordinaire like Andy here. Uh, that's that's your, your tutor's job. Or <laughs> but, you know, what they are requiring you to do is to have this contention and, you know, it doesn't even have to be that interesting, does it, necessarily? I mean, if you want to be, you know, groundbreaking, earth-shattering, that, that is okay, and some people are like that. But, I mean, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> and I still did okay at Section 2, and, you can, and it can be done. Would that be... Am I, am I correct in saying that, Andy? Absolutely. You know, like, um, I think above all sections, yeah, like, Section 2 is, is really good at penalising perfectionists. 
Yeah, you know, so like with a, you know, a lot of students, um, you know, like I, 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 I read thousands of, of GAMSAT essays. Like I haven't- I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even finished reading that dick yet. And I've, you know, read so many GAMSAT <laughs> essays. And it's really, it's really interesting to watch what, what the human brain does under pressure. There's that, you know, that, that, that one hour window, you know, like you, you watch a human being um, having to do all those things that we've talked about, all those skills, getting this thing out on paper. And, you know, you actually just read it. Yeah, and you see what the, yeah, the, the mind does when, when, when the pressure's on. And a lot of people, they say, like, I just, I, I want my essay to be interesting. And I say, like, you're kind of putting it the wrong way around. Like, if you are, if you are writing honestly, like you were talking about, like, if you're writing honestly, you are interesting to begin with. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, so when you get given those, the, the task, the A and B, like, every single essay I've ever read is different. They're mm. all unique. Task A and B give you this kind of potential endlessness of possibilities. And for a lot of people, they have... Now I'm going to get a little bit metaphysical, if, you, if you'll allow me. <laughs> Hang um, on there, guys. Hang in there. <laughs> my, my PhD is in psychoanalytic literary theory. So, uh, <laughs> but but you know, like for a lot of people, you know, before they before they start writing to the endless potential of what could be, a lot of people seem to have this kind of ghost essay, this spectre of the perfect essay <laughs> on the topic they have to write to, and it's kind of floating just out of their reach, like the daggers in Macbeth. It's too too literary. <laughs> too literary. Don't worry, we cover it in the bridging courses. <laughs> And, and, and until they have that perfect idea that they don't quite know, they won't start writing. Mm. Or that, potent, that endless potential of possible subjects, topics, contentions will be overwhelming and it will feel like you have no ideas. So those two things. And so that's how section two catches the perfectionists. People that are unwilling to commit to one idea Yep, from that endless sea of ideas and just commit to it, decide on it, and then start writing. Mm. They're the students who do the best. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and that kind of perfectionism is, is not just GAMSAT folk. It's, it's all writers since the beginning of time. Yeah, unless I can write something perfect, I'm not going to write. Yeah. yeah? I, was, I was thinking about when you, when you said, um, you know, how does someone, you know, form an opinion and, and, and you talked about people just consuming and agreeing with what's in the media. You know, that in of itself is a very interesting opinion, uh, you know, or, or, or self-reflection to say, I, I just look at BuzzFeed content and that's how I form my opinions. If you can then take the next step and say why that is and, and come up with some sort of um, contention, as it were. Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, that, that, that sounds like a, a wonderful exercise to do for the, for the people listening at home. You know, that you get a theme and, and the surrounding issues. First question I do is like, well, how does the media portray this? You know, whether the theme, you know, if we take some some, some of the question designs from uh, September 21, things like, um, uh, you know, the benefits of a globalized world. Yeah, that was one that, that quite a few folk, uh, you know, like experienced. How does the media portray that? Mm. You know, well, all you've got to do is watch the finance news, you know, uh, on, on, on channel ABC, you know, in the evening. And you'll find that when the global economy has a dip, people start to get a bit upset. 
you know, gold shares. I'm not an economist, by the way. But gold shares. <laughs> no, no financial advice on this podcast. <laughs> Other advice is available. Um, you know, you see that. So, so, so all of a sudden, we have a media picture of the world in which the global economy, if it's doing well, it's positive. If it stinks a little bit, people start to freak out. Mm. Yeah, and so then we look at the way that the media affects people. And all of a sudden, like like I was saying, I don't have gold shares. I don't have, you know, like the only thing like I really kind of care about sometimes is the price of oil because it means that fuel prices go up and I'm like, we need to fill up the car, honey. Yeah. I don't care. Like, <laughs> you know, it's very boring kind of stuff. But, that's but no, you don't understand. It could be $2 more be when $2. we go to the pump. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Look, I'm thinking about the dollars and cents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but then, yeah, so for, for lots of people... You know, if you, if you live in Australia, the global economy, you know, doesn't actually really produce wealth for, you know, sort of regular folk. And then why then does the media promote or support a global economy? Mm. All of a sudden now you've got your right to make a really interesting observation and justification for why you think that is. And that's what ACER are looking for. Mm. Your ability to spontaneously develop a through line, you know, through your thinking, you know, like the untidy mind kind of thing, like with different ideas popping up everywhere. No, you've you've been decisive and you've made a reasoned step-by-step logical process through, um, you know, through your own kind of thoughts to produce what is an interesting mm. insight that is possible in half an hour. So one of the things that I, I sometimes get my Section 2 students to do is actually very similar to that. Um, and it's when they're reading the comments and they're sort of very lost in the, the forest of ideas. They, I, I tell them, okay, well, if you can read the comments and you can come up with, with a theme, try and formulate it in a sentence that sounds something like this. A happens, right, in the context of B because of C, therefore D. And it's just one sentence, and that's your, your essay idea, right? Yeah. That's you covering all the bases. And I guess that's sort of similar to what you're proposing here, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And like the students that do the best, the people that you know that, that I work with that do the best, you know, like aren't um, sort of, you know, the that kind of mythic creature of the, the natural writer. You know, people are, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a natural writer. And it's like, eh, that's not true. You know? Um, you know, the, but, but the people who, you know, very early on work out, like we are talking about before, what mm. they're meant to be doing and then they go, you know what, I'm going to work on something like that, my way of formulating things. And then they do it, and they do it again, and they see what went right, what went wrong, and they do it again, focusing on the things that worked well and the things that, you know, discarding the things that didn't work well. Mm. And they do that, and they do it, like, routinely. You know, like the... I, I always refer to it like it's a, it's a boxing... You're, you're preparing for a boxing match, not, a, not an essay-writing exam. Because you, you are just that kind, you, you're, you're locking in a process that will allow you to negotiate, you know, your own thoughts and then communicate them on paper. Because ACER aren't really... Or on a computer. On, yeah. a, com- on a computer. <laughs> it's, it's the, um, you know, the, the, the metaphorical paper. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the key. Mm. You know, you're, you're not publishing. You're, you're, you're down in the muck, in the mud, and you are working on, like, a, a weaponized form of logic that will help you write to anything mm. Acer sets. Like a lot of people say, like, I hope I get this. I'm like, no. 
bad. You can write to anything <laughs> if you have a robust enough process and you're willing to make decisions and commit and trust yourself as well. Mm. It, it sort of harks back to this idea that we've touched on with section one, but I think we're going to find sort of is a theme throughout all sections of the GAMSAT, but it's really just comes down to logic in many ways. And, and if you're able to display your ideas in a logical fashion, you know, have that contention and follow it to the end, doesn't matter if it's not if it's you know not the, the most earth-shattering contention in the world. If you're able to do that, then you've demonstrated the skills that Acer is after. Exactly, they say they say it in in the handbook. We're not focusing on the like the correctness of your ideas. We're looking at like essentially like how you think. Mm. Hmm. Now coming back to the the brass tax topic that, that Mitch brought up earlier, I guess our next questions are very grounded because I, I think a lot of students really want to know well what is it that I'm doing now. What is it that I'm physically doing to prepare for section section two? And sort of in general, coming from a, uh, a big wig at phrases, I suppose, what is it that we do at phrases and how, how is it that we set up the environment to improve section two performance? Yeah, um, well, you know, like, like we we're talking about before, like one of the big, the first things we kind of do is really um, demystify, you know, what are the components of, of an essay? You know, what do you need to determine in order to produce a bit of written communication? And then, you know, like, basically it's, it's, it's a process of translating the sort of, like, intellectual or academic material into that kind of down and dirty, like, strategy. Yeah? So, you know, like, how do I read a theme? You know, how do I read a, a prompt set? How do I extract a theme and its surrounding issues? How do I then transform that into a process of ideas? How do I then synthesize from that a contention? How do I then structure that into some kind of written form? How do I evidence it? Then how do I express it? So it's working along those that process of skills. Mm. And by the end of it, um, you know, like it's like uh, <laughs> it's like a kind of military training um, where you know you at night you'll be repeating your process over and over again. Um, and then it, that way that it becomes machine-like. Mm. Yeah? Um, and you're able to produce you know, a piece of writing at the drop of a hat. Mm. Mm. So it's not a moment of this romantic spontaneity in the exam, is it? It's, very, it, it's similar to section one and three in the sense that while there is creativity involved, while there's no specific question, you do come in with a strategy, a plan, a pro forma. You're not going to, you know, pop in on the day and say, you know, today feels like a short story kind of day, right? You're going to have a plan. That's it, you know, yeah. and, if, and if you want to write short stories, start working on it now. Yeah, it's, there's no get out of jail free card, there's no fire escape or silver bullet. If you're interested in, because you're, you're more than welcome to, to, to write fiction, yeah, or short fiction, but you need a process around it. Mm. Yeah, same with persuasive writing, same with analytical writing or expository or autobiographical writing. Each one has its own set of skills and its own process that needs to be mastered by by, by people. Mm. You know, like you know, if you you know if you watch stand up co comedians mm. or improvisation comedians, it looks natural. I only have to look across the table to Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm improvising or because I'm funny. You might not be able to see it at home, but he's in fact wearing joke and makeup right now. Yeah, so I'm nothing funny about that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but it's the first yeah. rule of show business, you know, make it look easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like with all creative professions, whether you're acting, yeah, doing comedy, there is a strict set of skills and rules mm. that you have practiced with, you know, years and decades before you make it look effortless. 
And yep. that, the same thing goes in section two. Yeah, you need a way of organizing your thoughts, formulating a contention, structuring it, evidencing it, expressing it. Fantastic. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Um, and that like that sounds like something that could be done, you know, with help from a tutor, but also it sounds doable, you know, from the comfort of your own home, with your own preparation, so long as you're able to sort of keep your eye on the ball and make sure reflect, that you're reflect, 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 reflecting all the time. Absolutely. And, and on that note, like a real, real brass tacks kind of thing, um, read your own work. Yeah, if you, write a, if you write a practice essay, leave it, you know, six days or however long it takes to get over the trauma of it. Before you can look at it again. That's yeah. it. And, and go back and look at it. Absolutely. Um, so many people just hate doing this. Mm. Uh, and take it from me, you will have to confront your own work at some point in your writing careers. And if you if you read your own work after you know like a, a certain amount of time has passed, and you're um, you know you you roll up into a ball and cringe with uh, embarrassment, that's a good thing because it means you're getting better. Yeah. Yeah. If you look back on your the essay you wrote like you know eight weeks ago and just think you know what I actually am a genius, that's where it's a problem uh, <laughs> because you're not getting better. Yeah. And you're probably not a genius either. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, you are. Yeah. I mean, Unless you're Andy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and you know, across section one and section three as well, like GAMSAP is, is such a, um, you know, like you really get to know who you are and how you think, you know, preparing for the GAMSAP, very much in section two as well. Um, and so, it, yeah, GAMSAP breeds kind of honesty, I think. Mm. Yeah, and and if you have and, and if you cultivate that kind of, it's kind of courage, I suppose. You know, I'm not being hyperbolic, but it's kind of courage to look back on your practice essays, work out, and be be completely diagnostic. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? Yeah, did I did I did I fall into the perfectionist trap and mm. was trying to write that thing that I know exists somewhere somehow that's great? Did I um, did I cut corners? Yeah, did I um, did I try to write something that was beyond me? Yeah, you know it's really hard to write about something that you don't know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's really great that you mention that, Andy. That sort of the over philosophizing of, of topics or getting something, you know, bringing back to the Nietzsche example from earlier. You know, trying to read something that you don't really qualify to, you know, not really have a, are not in a position to fully understand, and then trying to write up, you know, either with your language or with, with your ideas. Brings me back to like this this meme that floats around Year Twelve English usually, where um, it's it's this this joke. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. Seen it on the internet at some point, where um, a teacher is talking to a classroom of students, and she says, uh, "You know, what do you think the author means when he says the curtains are blue in, in this particular piece of writing?" And mm. you know, she says the curtains are blue because they're, they're, they're representative of the author's despair blah 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 all of this like overcomplicated stuff and the, the student is just in complete despair because yeah, it just says the curtains are blue and that to me is actually an example of a bad piece of writing because it's it's written up it's over philosophized if you want to talk about something right make sure that you a understand it you're not going to impress anybody by over philosophizing something that you don't understand because if you don't understand it you can't explain it if you can't explain it you only have half a contention right you're absolutely yeah. right yeah. you know like um and, that, and that, look, it's a really, it's a really interesting phenomenon. Um, you know, like a lot of people, like, has anyone ever ventured into reading 
sort of you know sort of French postmodern philosophy. He was my my undergraduate was kind of dedicated. Is that Foucault? Yeah, Foucault. You know Foucault, and people like Jean Boria, and I I actually don't know how to pronounce this first name, but it's different pronunciations. But Gilles Deleuze, Mm. you know this kind of you know sort of like really you know sort of post-Marxist continental philosophy, and 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 it is that kind of super overwritten. Um, you know, sort of stuff where you have, you know, like these sprawling sentences where every second word is this kind of, you know, sort of neologism and, and conceptual noun. And, you know, like a lot of people think that's essay writing or that's the best kind of language. And mm. I always say to them, I say, no, it's not because what you're reading, particularly when you're reading that style of French philosophy, you're reading that translation of mm. already really complex stuff. Like, if you go back and look at the French, like Foucault, like, his sentence are, uh, sentences are quite short. Mm. But but because of the the language gap, like, the translations are these kind of over-stylized things. And so, particularly with undergraduate humanities students, they're trying to mimic that translated continental mm. philosophy yeah, and they have this looping stuff, and they lose track of what they're writing about. Mm. Um, and it's and it's it's a kind it's, it, it is a um, it is a meme, meaning that it's an unfounded weird trope that that's you know sort of popped along. Like if you if you read a uh, you know like one of the f- the best resources free resources for all section two students or section two folk is jumping on the conversation uh, the website theconversation.com. Mm. Um, you it's know, a like good little sort of evidence-based journalism outlet. I think is it, it's, is it run at Melbourne Uni? Is that the? Uh, it used to be. It's used now, to be. It, it's now run RMIT. RMIT took, took it over. Jump ship, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jump on a uh, on a growing university. No, um, <laughs> I'm speaking. The as rising as sun, yeah, rather than the setting one. As a former university yeah. in Melbourne, uh, you know, as a, an alumni. Hmm. Um, but you know, it's all peer-reviewed. You know, like, I've got some articles up on it as well. You know, you get approached by the conversation, you know, to write about something in your area, Mm. and then your job is then to communicate the sort of, you know, the details of your academic field to your sort of, you know, your average reader or lay reader. Mm. Fantastic. And if you were to write in that kind of style, you'd be laughed out of town because you're not doing your job communicating yeah. It's not a conversation. Yeah, it's not a conversation. Yeah. And and just like in section two of the GAMSAT, you know, it's that thing if you have to pretend you know, if just if you have to say that you're smart, it means you probably ain't. Mm. You know, mm. if you have to if you have to write in a way that makes you look smarter, it, it means that you've got a problem. Mm. Yeah. It's called the written communication section. Is that you know, we actually have words like obscurantism is a pejorative term, meaning that you're writing to not quite say what you're saying. Yeah, you're writing around the point. You're talking about the neoliberal, post-neocolonial um, effervescence of the schizomogenic relationship between the diaspora of the, you know, like, mm. this, 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 is, this is not communication. You're applying yeah. for the wrong job. <laughs> <laughs> what I said actually yeah. kind of made sense. <laughs> um, but, but it's, it's, you know, I'm just compounding. Yep. Yeah. Neologisms describe very particular things. Yeah, I'm completely missing the point. Mm. I'm trying to communicate to my to my three Acer raters. They call them raters, which mm. I think is quite nice. Because they're not actually marking. They just sort of Rater. look at the gist of it and say, ah, oh, yeah, the gist of this stars. is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> five stars. <laughs> yeah. 
needs work. Two and a half stars. Um, Bad Yelp review. Yeah, you're not you're not communicating. Mm. Um, and you know, like when it comes to those kind of conceptual words, like I know at phrases, like we teach, um, you know, sort of once again on that on that really applicable level, we teach some economic theory and look at neoliberalism and structural inequality, and the way that that modernity has shaped the modern world and these kinds of things. Um, but you know, each one of those words I just said, they those words are are there because they're describing enormous things. Mm. Yeah. And so when you're using kind of conceptual terminology, you need to be prepared to communicate what those things are and how you're using those words. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because that's your job. Any one of those words is, is enough to fill an essay, isn't it? Is yeah. enough to fill a library. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I you very early on in the piece you you rattled off a bunch of topics. I think even if for those that aren't doing the phrases course, those if people just you know takes the time just to have a think about what they actually mean, and say what do I think about that? Why do I think that? At that point, you will have you know a really good you know. I suppose, repository of ideas to draw upon in any sort of section two scenario. Absolutely. Um, whether you're um, someone who's writing for the first time or, you know, you have six Pulitzer Prizes, this, that question is the same. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and to not sound grim, but you can't escape it. <laughs> yeah. Until you, until you face that, that, that first step, Mm. You're you're always going to feel anxious in section two. Mm. I feel like I'm at a kind of um, you know like a, an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> but but until you yeah you you approach those you approach those questions openly and honestly. That's the first step. Yeah. yeah. You, confront you, you your will, shadow. If yeah. You will. Confront your shadow. <laughs> you will always feel anxious in section two. Absolutely. Well, Andy, this has been truly wonderful. This has been incredibly illuminating. Illuminating chat uh I, I don't even want to call it a chat i feel like that's sort of undermining the the weight and the value of everything that we've discussed today but uh, thank you so much for coming in thanks very much for having me you're, you're wonderful and generous hosts <laughs> <laughs> and good looking and the catering is also <laughs> that's that's for all the other potential guests on the show the beautiful set that's why they say that andy don't touch caviar yeah um of course, so thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Pre-Admission Game and specifically into this little Meet the Leads mini-series. Uh, we hope to see your friendly faces around, or maybe sort of struggling section two um, embattled faces <laughs> around uh, in our classes this season. Um, and yeah, hang in for, for more, for more Meet the Leads uh, with the Pre-Admission Game. Excellent, folks. Just, just keep writing. Just keep writing. Whether you're a new listener or a longtime fan of the pre-admission game, if you like what Phrases is about, make sure to get the best deal on the course offers by using the promo code PODCAST2022. That's PODCAST2022. The link is in the show notes.